You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. <laughs> Some of you are just under stress already. It's only January. So um, I don't know where to start because, man, I've got so much to share with you at the beginning of the year. I, I think I do want to start by piggybacking on what Janet was alluding to today. This year, our theme, you know, last year we had a theme, and the theme was Disciple One. We wanted to focus on just getting people into discipling, into a discipleship opportunity. And uh, I believe we accomplished that, especially with emotionally healthy spirituality. How many of you took that course? Right? So at least 100 of you did, okay, because you all registered. Now, whether you finished, that's a whole different issue, okay? But way to start. Um, this year, we, we, um, we believe the Lord put on our heart a thematic, a theme that we're going to call, okay, listen, generational generosity. Okay, let me talk about the generosity part. Uh, we sense that God wants us to grow as a congregation in our generosity. Not just our giving of money. There's a lot more that you have to give than just your money. Okay, now if you have it, you better give it, right? <laughs> if you don't have it, there's a lot of things that you can give. Your time, your treasure, your talent, um, so what we felt was the Lord wants us to grow as a church in giving of ourselves in many different ways, being intentional about this. But the generational part has to do with, check this out, the fact that we have multiple generations sitting in this very room. And across our campuses, we have several generations that sometimes don't really understand each other. Come on now, right? The parents, all the parents in the room said amen, right? With your, all the teenagers in the room said, all the parents of teenagers say amen. By the way, she said, anybody have a teenager? I raised my hand. I went, man, I feel old right now. <laughs> my son is 13 and he's going to youth camp and it's like, wow. Those of you who are over 40, 35 in the room, <laughs> you have something to give to the next generation. You have something of wisdom that you've learned. Whether it was, you know, through a lot of painful experience or whether it's just a life of obedience that you've lived before the Lord a long time, you have something to give. And we want to make sure that that happens. Those of you who are under 40 in the room, you have something to teach those of us who are over 40 in the room. It works both ways, folks. And we need your contribution to our lives as well. So that's the spirit and the tenor of this. This year, we hope, our, one of our goals is really that when we get to the end of the year, we'll look back and say, people over 40 in our congregation received a sense of a new purpose in life. Because how many of you know that when you get over 40 and you're in your 50s and into your 60s and maybe even into your 70s, you just start to kind of think, man, I'm just kind of sitting here just waiting to die. There's really nothing left for me to do but retire and have a good time, go fishing, go golfing, whatever. Let me tell you something. There's more to life than just that when you're in the kingdom of God. There is a contribution for you to make, and it involves the next generation or the a generation that is really right now in front of you. Okay. We want you at the end of the year to go, man, God has infused my life with new purpose. And then those of you who are under 40 in the room... We talk about, about millennials and, you know, Gen Xers like myself who are feeling really neglected right now because our generation, nobody talks about our generation nowadays. They talk about millennials and boomers and whatnot. But we want the millennials to feel that you, you have a voice, that you have 
there are people in this congregation that are anxious and willing to mentor you in skills, in things that you need to know as you grow in your walk with God. Okay, so we want to be able to bridge this gap as a congregation, and we're going for it this year, okay? Say amen, pastor. I don't care if you agree with me. I just want your agreement right now. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, you'll hear more about that as the weeks and the months come up, go, through, go along. Um, also, EHR, 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 EHR. It's time to sign up, folks, because that class is going to take everything that you learned in EHS and give a practical handle to it. If you are struggling with your relationships, you don't know how to listen to your spouse, you don't know how to manage conflict with the people that you love the most, EHR is going to give you a practical, it's, it's really a training for how to actually love well. We're going to teach you skills on how to do that. Okay, And it's a, an eight-week course, but we're going to spread it out because Easter comes early this year. So we're going to do five weeks, take a break, and then pick it up again. But we want you to register right now. This time around, listen, space is limited, okay? We, could not we can't accommodate 100 people anymore. So you need to sign up, first come, first serve. And if we get an overwhelming response, we'll find a way to offer you maybe another opportunity for you to do EHR. But, um, but sign up today, okay? Get signed up. This is part of how we disciple people here at New Life. We teach them how to love well, and we teach them about emotionally, uh, an emotional, that emotional health is important to becoming a mature disciple of Jesus. It's both ends, okay? Good. Say, say to the person next to you, this word you're about to hear is for you. <laughs> okay? At the beginning of every new year, we tend to ask the question, what can I do different in this new year? Right? But how many of you know, like even coming to the new year this year, uh, how many of you are tired of hearing yourself make the same exact resolution every single year? Right? Like, you go, oh, man, Lord, I'm tired of that. And again, resolutions are good. It's not a bad thing. If you do that, that's awesome. It's wonderful. It's important. Like, because the new year represents grace, another chance to do uh, something new or something good with your life and, and all that change. And, and, that's, and that's wonderful and good. But usually when we come to a new year, we're asking things like, what can I do differently? What can I do differently that will move me forward, right, this year? But this morning, I want to push back on that, that tendency to ask that question. And I want to suggest to you that maybe instead of starting with the question of, what can I do different, that we start with the question of, how can I do more of the same? Instead of asking, how can I move forward, I want to suggest today that we ask the question, how can I actually stay put? And let me give you the context for this in a second, all right? Because in our society, it's so easy to, to be drawn to the next new thing. There's new products coming out every second, it seems, isn't it? I mean, all you got to do is buy a cell phone. And they got plans that will help you change your cell phone for free, so they, so they make you think, every six months, right? And so we're constantly be dri being driven by the newest, <laughs> the brightest, the shiniest, the sexiest new thing on the market. Watch this. To improve our existence. And when you go to the mall, that's kind of the promise of that temple called the mall. Isn't it a place of worship? 
The mall is a place of worship, folks. You go there and you see the idols and the gods of Prada and Hugo Boss and American Outfitters and Victoria's Secret. By the way, we never figured out what that secret was. And all the other brands that are telling you that if you just buy the newest, latest thing that we have to offer, and by the way, you can even buy things without money nowadays. All you got to do is charge it, right? So the promise is if you just buy the newest, latest, greatest thing, your life will be more fulfilled. What if, in contrast to this message, that what if the key to change and true, like, transformation in our lives, what if the key is not the next newest, greatest thing? What if the key to change is actually more of the same thing? What if the key to fruitfulness looks like more of the same? I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in John 15 when he says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, by the way, you're the branch, okay? No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must say remain, say stay, say dwell, same meaning, remain, stay, dwell. Another translation says abide in me. Unless you do this, you cannot bear fruit, Jesus says. So write this down if you got room on your notes, and I know you do because we gave you a paper today and we gave you a pen. It's a free pen, by the way. <laughs> So if you take it, make sure, you can only take it if you take notes today, okay? <laughs> what if the key to moving forward in your life is actually staying put? Another way to say that is, what if the key to arriving someplace in the Christian life is actually abiding? What if the goal is not to get somewhere with your life? But what if the goal is to ground yourself in someone? Say grounding, 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 grounding. Makes me um, think about um, the pool heater in our backyard that's supposed to heat our pool. When we first moved into that place, uh, the inspector told us that the pool heater was not grounded. And of course, I'm not an electrician, so there's a lot, probably more elaborate explanation to this. From my understanding, it's important to ground that piece of equipment or any piece of electrical equipment that could maybe be charged with some kind of electrical thing that would be harmful to people if they were to touch it or it could ruin uh, other parts of you know, your electrical system and all that. In order to make sure that that piece of equipment is safe, you have to ground it. And so... We said, okay, we need to go ground this. How do we ground it? So I called my electrician. I said, you know, the pool heater's not grounded. He said, well, we'll take care of that. So he comes over, and he, he brings this big, like, long metal stake, like three feet. I'm like, what is that? He goes, we're going to ground your pool heater. I'm like, all right. And so he goes, and he, he, he goes next to the pool heater, and he, he puts this stake or this, like, metal rod in the ground, and then he hammers this thing all the way three feet deep into the soil. And then he attaches the wire to that metal rod and the other end of it to the pool heater. The pool heater is now grounded. You know what that means? 
from my inexperienced understanding, it means that if there were, for whatever reason, to be some kind of electrical surge that were to make that pool heater dangerous for anybody to touch it, instead of that surge being in the pool heater, that electrical surge would be absorbed by the ground rod. And that would make that heater safe. Listen, if you're not grounded... I'm going to preach this for a second. If you're not grounded, you're not safe. If you're not grounded in Jesus, you're really not that safe of a person to be around. But if you're grounded, check this out, then it doesn't matter what kind of surge, what kind of storm, what kind of lightning, what kind of adversity hits your life. If you're grounded in Jesus, he absorbs it. And you'll survive. You'll even thrive. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. So tell the person next to you, you better get grounded. You better get grounded. This year is the year to get grounded. Because the key, the key to moving forward, I think, is actually staying put. Now, listen, this seems a little counterintuitive because most of us want to move on, right? We want to just forget about the past, you know, and some of us, I think we do that by just getting really active. Forget about the past, and the way I'm going to forget about it is just doing, 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 just get my grind on, you know, just keep doing what I've been doing. But listen, don't mistake movement for progress, you can be doing a lot of things but actually not making progress or the right kind of progress. You know what I'm saying? Like my daughter, you know, I use this illustration a lot because as I see my kids a lot playing sports. Uh, my daughter, you know, plays tennis and she has this coach. And one, one day I was watching the coach give her a lesson. And, of course, you know, being a great dad, I love everything that my daughter does with her game. And so I'm like looking at her, she's got an awesome game. And so her coach is teaching her, and her coach starts to spend, in my mind, an inordinate amount of time correcting something in her serve. And I'm watching, and I'm going, there's nothing wrong with her serve. It goes in every time she hits it. So what's wrong with her serve? He spent nearly the whole lesson correcting her, like when she brings the, 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 the racket back this way, he's got to correct this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm wasting my money. I'm, I'm thinking, coach, you're wasting my money. But what coaches know that often we forget is that it's practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If you practice the wrong way, whatever you practice is going to become permanent. And, and it's, it's how you groove it. That matters. Does that make sense? All of you over 40 groove, you know the word groove, right? Let's groove tonight, right? You know how to groove. But some of you have been grooving it wrong. You've been grooving God wrong. You've been grooving church wrong. You've been grooving your relationships wrong. And so when you try to go to the word of God and apply it like some kind of formula to your relationships, it doesn't work for a while because you're in the wrong groove. 
And you need to back up and spend some time working out the details and groove it right so that it becomes more up. So the right thing becomes the permanent thing instead of the wrong thing. Now, I know we can apply this in so, so many different ways, but just... Just bear with me for a moment, all right? So you say, oh, wait, pastor, I get it. You know, but, but how in the world, like, isn't there something wrong with just staying the same? And I'm here to say, yes, 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 yes. Because there is a, um, how do I say this? There's a kind of uh, staying, staying put, staying the same, that does get us stuck. So let me talk about this for a second. For those of you who are in your mind are thinking, well, I don't know where he's going with this. I'm just going to let you off the hook here for a second, all right? There is a kind of staying that causes you to get stuck, okay? The first kind of staying is what I call um, stagnant stuck, okay? When you, when you stay stagnant, you get stuck. Um, this is when you settle into a mentality that says, I don't want to change because it's way too comfortable here, even though you need to change, that makes sense? Like, I know I need to change. My doctor just told me I needed to change. But I want to just stay comfy because it's comfortable. Okay? That's stagnant, stuck. There's another kind of stuck called, you ready? Don't get offended. Because some of you teach your kids this is the other form of S word. Okay? <laughs> it's stupid stuck. Stupid stuck is where you do the same thing over and over again, but you expect different results each time. One motivational speaker called that the definition of insanity. You are insane. Doesn't mean you're like, but it means you just keep telling yourself, I can change, but you just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's stupid stuck. Don't be stupid stuck. Don't be stupid stuck. There's another kind of stuck called stubborn stuck. Do you ever watch somebody, maybe in your circle of friends, or maybe family, okay, don't look at each other now, and they do something in front of a bunch of people, or maybe just a few of you, and afterward, someone comes up to you who saw what they did or what they said and said, you know what, that was kind of odd that they did that. Like, why did they do that? That was kind of out of character, or just kind of like tasteless or whatever. And you said, oh, don't worry about that. That's just how they are. Or you even maybe use their name. Oh, yeah. That's just so-and-so. Meaning to say that the attitude is, hey, you know what? Don't bother me. Don't judge me. That's just the way I is. For, forgive my English, right? That's just the way I am. And so stubborn stuck is where you refuse to change because, watch this, the pain of not changing has not yet exceeded the pain of changing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful no matter how you slice it. Whether you choose to change or not, it's going to be painful. But the pain of not changing has not yet exceeded the pain you know you're going to go through if you decide to change. Stubborn stuck. Right? There's another kind of stuck. You ready? It's called scared stuck. <laughs> scared stuck is um, when fear keeps you from doing what you know you need to do. 
No, no, pastor, I, I can't break up with them because, because who else is going gonna, gonna to be there for me? No, 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 no. I can't let go of that, pastor, because then I'm going to be lonely all my life. Because who knows what they're going to say about me if that happens, if I let go of that. And so what motivates you for staying in an unhealthy situation is actually fear. Scared stuck. This is the stuck that we talked about earlier, that Genesis was talking about earlier. When he, was when he read that passage about the Israelites, remember? And they refused to go into the land. Why? Because... Ten spies out of 12 reported that there were giants in the land that were going to destroy them. And the whole ten spot, ten men influenced the destiny of the whole nation and put a whole nation into fear, a fear that paralyzed them. Actually, it caused them to wander for 40 years. When you, and God always has his purposes for, you know, wandering, but when you stay scared stuck, don't be surprised if you find yourself wandering, if you find yourself lost, if you find yourself confused, you see? So th there are all these kinds of stuck. Well, there's a different kind of, uh, let's not call it stuckness, let's call it stickiness. What we're talking about today, these are all kinds of like stuck we want to avoid. What we're talking about today is what I want to call a sacred stickiness or staying power. It's a, it's a holy kind of stick with it, all right? Let me give you an example. There's something to be said about sticking with the same local church over the course of time. Rather than the tendency of shopping it around, and hopping it, shopping and hopping, right? I understand there's a season for that. But if you've been doing that for five years, I'm about to drop the mic right now. <laughs> there's something to be said about picking a local community of faith that loves Jesus, that teaches the Bible, that believes in Christ, and sticking with it for a long time. There's something to be said about sticking with the same spouse for a lifetime. You remember those vows? Yeah. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Whether she nags me or whether she doesn't. Whether he respects me or whether he doesn't. Whether he learns how to finally put the toilet seat down or he doesn't. I'm going to stick this out. There's something to be said about staying power that makes marriage what it is. I'm going to throw this one out, too, because some of you are career people. And I know, before I say it, I know that there, is some, there are seasons when you've got to change things. Okay, I get that. Totally get that. But there's something to be said about sticking with the same job and being faithful to the same organization for a long time. I understand, okay, I understand, because it's different nowadays, right? We don't maybe get the benefits that we would have back in the day if you stuck it out, right? That was with the values back in the day. You just find a company and you stay with that company for life. And I get it, it times have changed. But I had someone at the Norwalk campus last week 
say to me afterwards, they said, hey, Pastor, you know what? That's so true because at my job, I've been there for 20-something years or 14 or 20-something. I forgot how many long it was. It was a long time, longer than we would normally stick at a job, right? And they said, you know what? I realized the other day that I would not have been receiving the kind of favor and benefits that I'm receiving right now if I hadn't stuck with that job. I'm like, wow, that is really awesome. So all you millennials in the room, listen up. There is something to be said about staying power. Because I know your tendency. You want to you work somewhere, and then if it doesn't you know, float your boat or have the right vibe, you want to go someplace else. And that's fine. There's a time and a place to mix it up, okay? I'm not saying don't change. I'm not saying don't try something new. All I'm saying is there's something to be said about faithfulness, consistency, and sacred staying power. The same church, the same spouse, the same vision, the same mission. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. So watch this. How do we get that? A staying power is found in the process. In John 15, Jesus says, when he says, he uses this metaphor of a vine and branches, um, he's suggesting to us that the way God works in our life is a lot more organic than how we often want it. The metaphor is one of Agriculture, a vine. He's the vine. He's the one planted in the ground. Branches. We're the branches, right? And he says, watch this. He says, I'm the, I'm the true vine. My father is the what? Yeah. How many of you garden? Don't raise your hands. How many of you like to garden? Okay. I, I tried my hand out at it, you know, these past couple years, and uh, I think I'm okay at it, you know, and only a few things have died, and, you know. Um, but for the most part, I kind of leave it up to my, you know, people who clean our yard and all that stuff to, to help me. And I love this picture because watch, when most of us think about God nowadays, we don't think about God as a gardener, do we? We think about God as a genie. Just rub my Bible and out comes genie God. Three wishes, Lord. I wish... And, right? Or for those of you old enough to remember this, when we used to have these, some of us think of God as a jukebox. We just want, we want the, the greatest hits of the Bible, the greatest blessings of the Bible to be played over and over and again. All I got to do is put the right change in, print the selection in, and boom, God plays what I want him to play. He plays to my tune, and I can dance. I dance the night away. I can get my groove on, you know? And we think about God in the wrong way. The metaphor here is not God as genie or God as jukebox. The metaphor here is God is a gardener. In other words, when God wants to do something in your life, he starts by planting a seed and growing his purposes through you and in you. It's a process. Tell the person next to you, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Even when you put miracle grow on it. Right? We come to church and we think the praise and worship is like spiritual miracle grow. We think, you know, pastor, come and bless me and my family. Pray. I need you to actually lay your hand on my head. It's miracle grow. No, it's not. You have the same power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. 
that lives in me. God ain't no genie, he ain't no ma magician for you. And he's not a jukebox, he's a gardener and he's going to grow his purpose in your life. And if you think of God as a genie or if you think of God as a jukebox, you're going to be very frustrated that God actually doesn't dance to your drumbeat. Aren't you thankful God isn't at your fingertips? Aren't you thankful that he's actually not at your beck and call? He knows what's best for you even when you don't. And even when he doesn't allow stuff to happen in your life that you wanted, that you thought would fulfill you, you've got to learn to trust the gardener. Trust the gardener, man. Sometimes the gardener, they did this at my house, and I couldn't, I understood the principle, so I was like, okay, I'm fine with it. I have these, um, these beautiful, they call them chrysanthemums. Anybody know what a chrysanthemum is? Don't you love it? See, yeah, so the beautiful colors of, they come out usually in October, November, right? And I planted these in my yard like a year ago. And they told me it's going to die. All right, so I thought, okay, I'll, it'll die. It died, like, quickly. And I'm like, all right, cool. But I'm, like, waiting, and, and I realized that, uh, you know, my gardeners did something to it one day. I couldn't figure out why. So a year later, all of a sudden, you get these amazing blooms. I'm like, whoa, it's yellow. I love it. And then, like, two weeks after the blooms, I came to my backyard one day, and I saw all of them cut. Like, to the stem. I'm like, what would you do with my beautiful flowers? They just literally cut all the flowers off. And when I found out about it, um, they said, yeah, you know, we need to cut back the growth so it'll be even more beautiful. Sometimes the gardener has to cut things back, doesn't he? They call it pruning. And there's probably a, a more elaborate illustration with grapevines and stuff that I don't want to take the time to explain today. But sometimes God, as gardener, cuts us back and prunes us. And we mistake his pruning for punishment. Don't mistake God's pruning for punishment. He wants to make you more fruitful, and he's going to cut back some things in your life. Maybe this year, instead of saying, what do I need to, to do that's new? What do I need to add to my life? Maybe we need to cooperate with God and say, what do I need to cut back from my life in 2018 so I can be more fruitful? All right. You got my point, yes? Sometimes we don't like the process because the process is very difficult, painful, and monotonous. But if you miss or resist the monotonous, you will miss the miraculous. How many of you know that growth is a miracle? I don't know if you've ever watched this on TV. You know, they have those, those specials like PBS specials or documentaries uh, documenting what actually happens, how a baby grows in the womb. I don't know about you, friends. When I watch that stuff, I'm like... That's an absolute, what's the word for it? Miracle. Growth is a miracle. And if you resist the monotony that is often involved in the process, you're going to miss the miracle. You say, Pastor, no, nothing's happening. Well, yeah, that's usually how it is. Nothing feels like it's happening. When's the last time you actually saw a flower in front of your face come to full bloom? You didn't. Because one night it looked like nothing was happening. For weeks it looked like nothing was happening, and then all of a sudden, right? But you had to engage in the monotonous practice of watering that plant, of tilling that soil, of putting the insecticide. You, know, you can tell I've been gardening, right? But putting the insecticide on the, so it, the bugs don't kill it. 
If you resist the monotonous, you will miss the miracle of growth. You look at these people in your life, and this is, you know, it applies to a lot of different people, not just Christians. And you look at people that, to you, look like they're really successful, right? And I think a lot of times we look at these wonderfully successful people and go, wow, they're just so, and we, the Christian term we use is what? They're just so blessed. How did you get so blessed, you know? And I think sometimes we tend to think, oh, man, God, why, did you, why do you um, favor those people more than you favor us? You ever think that? Like, man, man, we're here suffering over here, but look at these people. They're so blessed. What do they do that seems to be gaining God's favor? Let me just set the record straight, folks. You ready? You ready? We're all God's favorite. Did you grow up in a family where you thought your sibling was the favorite and you always argued over who was? Let me just set you at ease. In the family of God, we're all his favorite, folks. We're all his favorite. He's not exercising favoritism over you when you think that someone over here is getting blessed and you're not. No. Don't, don't think like that. Listen, when somebody looks like they're getting blessed, often when you examine what they have been doing in secret, you see the key. Remember Stephen, Stephen, uh, what's his name? Stephen Curry, all of you basketball fans in the house. And if you're not, you probably know Stephen Curry, Golden State Warriors, just amazing MVP last year, won a championship. Anyway, just bear with me for a moment. So this dude was shooting three-pointers like crazy, and a few years ago, just we were all blown away by how many three-pointers in a game this guy was making. And we were going, wow, he's just changing the nature of the game. And he would shoot them from like really long distances and make them, right? We go, whoa, this is crazy, this is amazing. Well, listen, it's our tendency to think, He's just blessed with talent. This dude's just gifted. Yeah, maybe he is. But have you seen Stephen Curry practice? When you watch what he does in secret and when nobody's looking, he's dribbling two balls like this. When he's shooting like fifth, the other day I saw on YouTube, he made like 73 three-pointers in a row in practice. Sometimes it's not that they're more favored or that they're more talented. They have just chose to embrace the monotony of practice. When you see somebody spiritually blessed, and by that I mean, they say, how do they have so much joy even though they're going through so much suffering? How can they have that kind of attitude even though I know what's going on and the terrible things that are happening in their life? Let me tell you something, folks. It's not that they're more favored by God. They've been practicing joy. They've been practicing peace. They've been practicing the presence of God. So they experience the presence of God when they need it most. When it's game time. You see? So I want to encourage you. Don't resist the monotonous that sometimes it feels like the process is it's, it's too long, it's too boring, nothing's happening. Keep practicing. Remember the story, and I'll close with this. Joshua, and God told Joshua, when you go to Jericho, the first city in the promised land they were to conquer, when you go to Jericho, I'm going to give you a strategy, Josh. 
And this is just God and Joshua talking, right? God says, you're going to march around the city how many times? Yeah, so what he really said was, you're going to march around the city one time for six days, every day. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. Then you're going to shout. Okay. Joshua goes to his army and basically tells them, here's what you're going to do, guys. Get ready. You're going to march around the city. He doesn't tell them how long they have to march. He doesn't tell them what to do on the seventh day. He just says, you just need to do what I say, okay? So the army is just trusting the word of God through Joshua. Watch this. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. They marched around the city, okay? Up to this point, they had only marched once. Now on the seventh day, they marched seven times, watch this, in the same manner. Nothing changed from the previous six days they were marching. Same people. Same Ark of the Covenant presence of God walking. Same trumpet. Probably the same song that they were playing on that seventh day seven times. Listen, folks, you never know when it's your seventh day. You'll never know when it's your seventh day. So be faithful in the same things that you know you need to be faithful in. Because when the seventh day comes and the shout gets lifted up, the walls will fall. And the breakthrough will happen. And the question is, will you embrace the monotony? How about this? Will you embrace the routine that if you practice the right routine will eventually lead to the right reward and bear the right fruit. If you repeat the right things in the right way, then the process will bear the right fruit. Okay, I'm done. But let me just say this as a practical word as I was thinking about this today. I feel like maybe there are some of you here who are wanting God to do something new in your life. And the key to that is really more of you learning how to not arrive, but learning how to abide in Jesus. Practically speaking, that means waking up in the morning, the first 10 minutes of your day is spent reading the Bible. Right, let's just break it down real simple. Okay, I tell my kids, kids this. Guys, the first 20 minutes of your day is going to set the tone for your whole day. So what are you doing the first 20 minutes of your day? You can't do much with 20 minutes, your first 20 minutes, if you wake up late every morning, right? Lately, I've been, so abiding has to do, is, it means different things for each of us, but it, that, whatever it means practically for you, it's making a connection with Jesus at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, and at the end of the day, and everywhere in between as often as possible. Got it? The other day, I was, uh, yesterday, I was watching my kids play tennis, and I was delighting in watching my son lose really badly. And I found myself inviting the presence of God. Jesus, thank you so much that I get this opportunity to watch my son play. Thank you for your presence in, in my life. Thank you for, I started praying for some of you 
because God knows y'all need it, right? And so, you know, God, thank you. In the moments of your day when we're not always inclined to think about the presence of God, we need to practice the presence of God. When you're dealing with those unruly kids that are running around and you're stressed out pulling your hair out, right? Come on, all you moms in the room of young kids. I get it. I've been there. Well, not me exactly, but, I, you know, my wife has been there. <laughs> How do I abide in you, Jesus? Sometimes it's just taking a moment. Like this morning, I said to my kids, I, you guys need to learn this. I brought my two boys, sat on the couch. I said, I'm going to teach you the discipline, the practice of being silent before the Lord. <laughs> so I set it up for them. We're going to be silent, guys. Get this, all right? It's going to seem so long for you. We're going to be silent. For one minute. And so I explained it to him. We were silent. And at the end of the minute, my youngest son said, that's it. That's it. I'm like, oh, praise God. We need to go two minutes next time. This is what abiding in Jesus sometimes can look like practically. What does it look like for you? And what's keeping you from abiding in Jesus this year? Some of you want to bear so much fruit. Some of you want to arrive at a certain place of success in your business, in your family, in your career goals, whatever it might be. Whatever it is you're doing to arrive in, to, in light of the definition how, of how society defines arriving. Can I suggest to you that before you buy in hook, line, and sinker to that definition of success that you consider that the fruitfulness that you really want in your life doesn't come by arriving. It comes by abiding and remaining and staying faithful in your relationship with Jesus. You know what the promise is? He says, if you abide in me, as I abide in you, you will bear fruit much fruit, and in the end of that chapter, he says, fruit that will last. Stop doing it your way. If you claim to be a Christ follower today, stop doing it your way. Abide in Jesus, and the fruit will start to happen. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray. I know I spoke a long time today. I had a lot to say. Stand to your feet with me. And we're going to just take these last few moments tonight, to this morning. Abide, remain, stay, dwell. What if the way forward this year is actually staying put in the secure, the security of your identity as a son, as a daughter, as a child of God? Now, maybe some of you here who are not familiar with that idea, but for some of you, the beginning of this year needs to be a rededicating of your life to making Jesus and abiding in him your priority. So close your eyes and bow your heads. And if there's anyone here today that just say, yeah, Pastor, I, you know, I really do want more of Jesus. Like, I'm not going to try to look after, look for the next greatest, best thing, even spiritually. I'm just going to come right back to the cross, to the simplicity of a life of discipleship. And in that sense, do more of the same this year. 
Maybe you've wandered from that today and you want to come back to that. As we sing this next song, this, just this chorus, I, I want you to just respond to the Lord and say, Lord, that's me. And you can, you can lift your hand, you can lift both hands, you can just say, God, that's me, all right? And I will pray for you after this chorus. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I'm melting your peace, it's overwhelming. Christian faith is not a life of inaction, but it is a life of purposeful action. That is to be born out of a life-giving relationship and connection with Jesus, who is the true vine. So Jesus, we pray that 2018, for those of us especially who have um, maybe wandered from what it means to truly be connected to you that all of our action in 2018 would be an overflow of our intimate connection with you. We pray that. I pray that blessing on every soul here in this room. And where there are those who perhaps have not embraced a true, authentic relationship with you, but have only done a religious duty, that you would awaken them into that relationship and bring them into saving faith. And for those of us, Lord, who claim to follow you, that you would meet us in our day-to-day, mundane, often monotonous routine. And you would infuse that routine with life. That more of the same this year would actually begin to bear fruit. And that we would be moved out of the places where we get stuck and we're, because we're stubborn, because we're scared, because sometimes we're stupid. We pray that you move us out of that stuckness and you move us into a life of purpose with you. I thank you and I bless your people with this today as we go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And everyone said, Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.